0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Missio. My name is Bernie. Thank you, Julie. Uh, My name is Bernie. I'm one of the elders here, and it's a a privilege to be able to open God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to... Mark chapter 9, we're going to be continuing our series this morning through the gospel according to Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a uh, Bible in the uh, front of the pew in front of you. I encourage you to grab one of those. Uh, you can find our text this morning, I believe, on pages 844 and 845. Mark chapter nine. Um, before we look at um, at our portion from Mark this morning, I just want to uh, make note of something as we uh, as we prepare for our worship and giving later, and even the next few weeks. Uh, Hopefully most, if not all of you, received one of these uh, little handouts when you walk through the door uh, entitled Church Planning Focus. This month, these next several weeks, we are uh, doing, I guess, a special offering for um, some partners around the world that are engaged in planning churches, some here in Syracuse uh, and across uh, the globe, really, and um, what we're doing is uh, this is above and beyond what we've designated in our budget to give to uh, ministry partners around the world, and our our aim this month is to to raise at least $12,000 that we can uh, send along to these partners as they're involved with gospel work. So uh, also in the pew, there is one of these handy-dandy little envelopes, and you can just mark church planting fund right there, that middle column uh, or row. And uh, designate that there, or if you go online, uh, there is a drop-down box for the church planning fund. We encourage you to give there. I, I really pray that we can go well above and beyond uh, this $12,000 to support these ministry partners. And I just want to say a word uh, this morning about 20 Schemes. Uh, it's the second one listed there on that front side. 20 Schemes is a, a church planning and revitalization effort in uh, in the nation of Scotland. And um, what 20 Schemes is doing is is going into the schemes of Scotland or their council estates. Essentially, that would be like our uh, housing developments or our projects. Uh, It's different in Scotland. Here, uh, our poverty and blight is in the inner city. And there, the the inner city is for the wealthy, and then on the outskirts of the city is where the poverty are, and that's where these housing communities built by the government are. Um, Some people that live in these schemes never venture outside of their schemes, never venture more than a half mile from their home, because it it is a a self-contained little world. Almost half of Scotland's population live in a scheme, And there is no gospel presence in the schemes of Scotland. And so what the men and women of 20 schemes have done is they have taken responsibility for the schemes of Scotland and say, we will go, we will take the gospel to the schemes. And so they are planting churches uh, in these schemes where there literally are no churches and, and literally are no known believers uh, and th- these people have no access to the gospel, and it's a privilege to be able to um, to partner with them in their work. encourage you to go to 20 Scheme's website this afternoon, this week. Check them out. Pray for them. Uh, consider giving to this offering uh, that we might uh, better support them. And others. So uh, that's the little word there on that. But I I just think what a great opportunity for us as a congregation to be a part of what God's doing around the world. So I encourage you in the strongest way possible to be a a part of that. Okay, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 and following. This is God's word. And when they came to the disciples, And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we again come to you seeking your aid, seeking your help, that by your spirit you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to and minds to understand your word this morning, Lord. On our own, uh, out of our own ability, um, we can do nothing. We need your strength, Father. Transform us by your word this morning. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our heart be acceptable and pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Nobody likes difficulties or complications in life, right? Few people welcome setbacks. That's just the way it is. Yet, despite our disdain for uh, spiritual struggles, for health problems, for financial worries, for relational stags, despite our disdain for those things, these things are gifts. All those negative things are, in fact, valuable. Why? Why? Why do I say that? Because those challenges of life, and and many other things like them, the challenges of life expose where our trust lies. And if we're honest, the challenges of life often expose our unbelief. One author defined unbelief as an unwillingness to take God at his word, and an outlook limited by merely human possibilities. So whatever we can do in our strength, that's, that's what's going to happen. That's what can be done. That's what unbelief looks like. It's, it's as simple and as seemingly innocuous as, um, as looking to the wrong source for strength, for help, for answers. And failing to look to God in those moments. You see, Mark 9 is in this last half of of the Gospel of Mark, in which Mark intends to show um, his audience and us what the nature of true discipleship is all about. What it really means to follow Jesus. That's what discipleship is. And in this passage, here in Mark 9, Mark teaches us that one of the primary characteristics of discipleship, of following Jesus... Is faith. And he teaches us the importance of faith and belief and trust really through the unbelief of many of the people in this passage. Now, We just read the story, but Jesus and three of his disciples have just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, where they get a glimpse of the the future glory of Jesus, and they find themselves coming down out of the mountain at this chaotic scene at which the nine of his other disciples are at the center, and while they were away, they find out that a boy plagued by a demon was brought to the nine of the disciples by the boy's father, in the hopes that they could do something to bring deliverance to this boy. But despite their best efforts, despite all their, uh, their trying, the disciples were, uh, were unable to free the boy. And so the religious leaders that had gathered around to watch this spectacle were, uh, were likely uh, perhaps mocking Jesus' followers and, uh, you know, calling it to question the legitimacy of Jesus because these followers of Jesus couldn't uh, command an unclean spirit. And so Jesus walks into the scene and he asks, like, what's all the fuss about here? Why this crowd? Why the commotion? And, and a man speaks up who happens to have a particularly vested interest in what's happening here. It's the boy's father, Right? And he explains that he brought his son. He tells Jesus, hey, I brought my son. He's possessed by this spirit that, that wants to kill him. Um, but your disciples, they fell down on the job. They, they couldn't get the job done. And Jesus responds at that moment in exasperation. At the unbelief, the faithlessness of the generation in which he's standing. Look at verse 19 with me of Mark chapter 9. It says, and he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, whose faithlessness or unbelief is he referring to? Who is this unbelieving generation? It seems like, at first glance, it might refer to the disciples because, after all, they were the, the ones unable to work a miracle here. And here's the interesting thing about them not being able to get the job done here. If we look back to Mark chapter 6, verse 7, we see that Jesus has entrusted this very ministry to the disciples. Keep your uh, finger here in Mark 9, and let's just look back at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. This is what it says. And he called, Jesus called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. They'd been given this ministry. And verse 13 reports uh, their initial experiences with this authority. Verse 13 of chapter 6. And they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many were sick, and healed them. So why were they able to do that back there in chapter 6, but just a short while later in chapter 9, here they are unable to do anything about this spirit. One pastor provides some, some helpful insight that I think makes sense of this. He says the disciples are looking to themselves. However much they would have been entirely ready to admit that the power they wielded in driving out demons was a power that Jesus had given to them. Christ himself, the Lord's person, had receded into the background. They were thinking that they would drive out this demon as they had driven out others before. They weren't thinking, as the father later would, that about Christ driving out the demon. Right, That makes sense. They were thinking that they themselves would do this in their power, in their authority. And, and we know this to be the case. This makes sense because uh, later on, the Lord Jesus seems to, to kind of chastise them, reprove them for... Th- their refusal to pray, their slackness in prayer. They simply thought, hey guys, if we speak the proper words, if we go through the right motions, bada-bing, bada-boom, this thing's going to come out, this boy will be free. They didn't place their hope for deliverance in Jesus, they placed it in, hey, we're going to do the right thing here. And many times, our lack of faith looks like that. Us wanting to do the right thing. Our our lack of faith uh, is evidenced by our failure and our refusal to turn to Christ. Instead, we're just busying ourselves with doing the right things. If If we just do the right things, we'll be okay. We've got our systems and structures and processes in place. We've got the discipline for our kids in place, so that means they're going to turn out okay. Right? Because we've set the right structures in place. We've got a budget, therefore we'll never have financial problems. Uh, I've got relational boundaries, therefore that means everything's going to be all set in that world. Those things, our our systems, our structures, and our processes will keep us from failure. But what we're doing is placing our hope not so much in the person of Jesus, although all those things may be wonderful and good and right and even uh, commended to us in Scripture, placing our hope not so much in the person of Jesus as in our systems and our processes. We are called... In the first place, not to work, but to trust, to faith, to belief in the person of Jesus. Now, perhaps Jesus, in calling out this unbelieving generation, also had the Father in mind. Because uh, he may have knew, known what was in the heart of the father. Because just a few verses later in verse 22, we hear, uh, after the, the father explained his son's dire situation, we hear these words. Look at verse 22. Uh, he explains the situation. And it has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion. He seems to have a good handle on the compassion of Jesus, the, the mercy of Jesus, the love of Jesus, but not so much on the authority and power of Jesus. Right? He wants help. He believes Jesus is ready and willing to help. He's just not so certain Jesus can help. If you can do anything, if. And I'm sure we all face circumstances that are less than ideal, circumstances that if we had control over, given the opportunity, we would change. And we believe God is a caring God. I I believe if I ask every one of you that, you would say, yes, God is a caring God. We don't think he's some indifferent, self-absorbed deity. Many of us might not be all that convinced that he has the power to help us. And perhaps the Father here in Mark 9 has been influenced by the inadequacies of Jesus' followers. Perhaps his insufficient view of Jesus could have been kind of affected by his lackluster experience with those that represented Jesus right? Uh, I don't know how many of you know the name uh, Mahatma Gandhi, probably one of the world's most famous Hindus, lived in the 20th century in India, and he uttered these words. He said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. See, what he was communicating is that uh, he might give opportunity to listen to Jesus but he was far too put off by the followers of Jesus and and this is certainly an issue in our day people have been hurt by the church and their affections for and commitment to Jesus have been affected by this We hear of people walking away from the church, from Christ, because of mistreatment by the people of God. And and maybe the church's failure to, to properly address a legitimate concern that they may have. Some of you have been hurt by the church, and some of you may be considering walking away from Jesus because of the church's inadequacies and inabilities to truly represent Jesus. Don't let your view of God, of Jesus, be tainted by the inadequacies or the inabilities, the sin or the silliness of those who belong to God. Don't have doubts about Jesus because of his followers. Look at him. S- fix, set your gaze On Jesus. So we see that the disciples had doubts and unbelief. The fathers had doubt and unbelief. The challenges of life almost always expose where our trust lies. And more often than not, those challenges reveal our unbelief, our lack of faith, our failure to trust. Now, when the fathers uttered, when the father uttered these words, uh, if you can do anything, help. Jesus immediately responds to this man and to, to our unbelief. Look at verse 23 with me. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. If you can. Like Jesus is like, what's with the if? If you can, come on. If you can? You see, we're commanded to look to Jesus in faith. The question is not whether Jesus is able, the only question is will we trust? The question is not, is Jesus able to deal with this this thing I'm facing, confronting in life right now? That's not a question. Jesus is able. The question is, will you trust Jesus in the midst of whatever you are currently experiencing? Will we believe? The challenges of life call us to look to Jesus in faith as the authoritative one able to accomplish all things. That's what Mark 9 teaches us. All things are possible for one who believes. Now, there are some just whack, false teachers out there who want to twist these words. All things are possible for one who believes. Right? This doesn't mean that you can bench press 400 pounds if you believe. Not going to do it, Stephen Caserta. This doesn't mean you'll have enough money to buy a BMW if you just believe. Garbage. That's filth. So what does it mean? Uh, all things are possible for one who believes. One pastor states it, restates it this way. Everything that God wants me to do in my life that will honor and glorify him is possible for that person who trusts in God. So I can love and serve my enemy, turning the other cheek in the most uh, despicable of circumstances, if I believe. I can deal with loss and shame, the the loss of my property, the loss of my family, the, the loss of my reputation for the sake of the gospel... If I believe, we see our, our brothers around the world, brothers and sisters around the world doing this right now, giving up property and family and, and liberty for the sake of the gospel because they believe. I, I can lavish love on, a children, on my children or my spouse who has rejected me, who have, have just disappointed me so, so considerably if I believe. I can love them. Where the world says, no way could you love that person anymore. If I trust in the Lord, I can do that. Whatever God calls me to do in his word is possible for me if I believe. And we are commanded to look to Jesus in faith. But as we hear that call to look to Jesus in faith... We, we may, more than we like to think, identify with the father here in verse 24. Look at it with me. Immediately, when he heard this word, nothing is impossible for anyone who believes, and immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. We may say, yeah, I I believe God's word. But there is this part of me that just wrestles with doubts. I, I trust that God will do what he says he's gonna do. But, but my mind just continually, is just there's these uncertainties that pop up in my mind and I'm not quite sure. Well, here's what I want you to see. In spite of the man's, I believe, help my unbelief, In spite of this kind of ugly faith, what did Jesus do? Jesus healed the man, healed the the man's son, The, the man who had belief but had unbelief. And so what we know is this, the issue is not the strength of our faith, but the strength of the God in whom we place our faith. I want to say that again because some of you need to hear this and some of you need to just embrace this right now. The issue is not um, the strength of your faith, but the strength of the God in whom you place your faith. If, if our functional God is our own abilities, if it's, if it's even the people of God, if, it's, if our functional God is our job, our potential, our goodness, our efforts, yes, you will be disappointed and left without a remedy at every turn. But if the object of your trust, even if it is small and frail and weak and insignificant, even if your trust is all those things, if the object of your trust is the authoritative Son of God, then be assured of this. You are going to the source of deliverance. Bank on it. The, the, crucial, the, the, the crucial element is not our faith, but the object. Of our faith, like segments of our society, like it's not a bad thing in our society in our world to go out and say, "I have faith." Like we talk about the virtue of faith; it's a cultural conversation, right? Muslims have faith, Jews have faith. We're people of faith. I believe, right? We we hear it everywhere and it's not so important or so it seems if you're listening to the cultural conversation what you believe just so long as you believe something but we need to be clear about this that is decidedly not the witness of scripture faith or belief is not a powerful thing in and of itself. Faith is only as strong as the object of our faith. You see it right here with this man. I believe, help my unbelief. His faith, it's, it's tiny, it's barely there. And yet what was that tiny, insignificant fail? Ready to snap at any moment faith in. Jesus, the authoritative son of God. That's what it was in. And that's what made it Effective. And we're called to faith in Jesus. Robert Raymond, he's a long-time pastor and theologian, he said this, It is not faith we live on, but Christ we live on. Faith is simply what connects us to him. It's not faith we live on, but Christ we live on. Faith is simply what connects us to him. We can no more live by yesterday's faith than we can see by yesterday's light or be nourished by yesterday's food. Faith is so important, so critical. Faith makes all the difference because Jesus Christ makes all the difference. And he grants his presence in our lives. He displays his power on our behalf. He exercises his authority in and for us only as we believe in him and rely on him. We are to trust Jesus that's the object of our faith because he is the authoritative author of life. Look at, the, look at the response of the spirit, the demonic spirit, the unclean spirit to Jesus. Look at, I believe it's verse 20. It said, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. This spirit sensed and knew and was certain of the authority of Jesus and it didn't want anything to do with that. Right? And then then in contrast to the disciples' inabilities and inadequacies to get the job done, look at verses 25 and 26. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. Jesus is the one in whom power resides. Jesus is the authoritative author of life. We all have faith. Where does your faith reside? In, in whom or in what do you place your trust? In, in who or what does your hope lie? And perhaps I can tell you by one telltale marker. Prayer. Look at verses 28 and 29 with me. And Uh, when he had entered his house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We express our faith, an active, ongoing faith, through prayer. Mark hasn't recorded, like this whole passage has been about um, the faithless generation, the unbelief, right? I believe, help my unbelief. This whole passage has been about belief. So Mark didn't record this whole passage, this whole event about faith, about trust, about belief, and then think, you know, I'm just going to tack on this nice little bit about prayer here on the end, just kind of a nice conclusion. No, they, they go hand in hand. They're not unrelated. Belief. Or faith or trust translates itself into prayer. Prayer is per- perhaps one of the most concrete expressions of faith and belief. And the flip side of that is prayerlessness is unbelief, prayerlessness is an expression of doubt. Prayerlessness is an expression of self-reliance. I got this. I can work it out. I'll figure it out. It shows we believe, at least functionally, whether we would ever utter the words, that we can address the problem or that God is unable to address the problem. Prayer is, is the outward expression of inward belief. Prayer is a marker of the church dependent upon God. It's, prayer, is, it, the act in itself, is a, is, a, is a formal statement of both our inadequacies, our inability, and God's ultimate authority. When we pause anywhere I just say, God, can you, will you, what we're saying is, I can't, God, you can. It's the ultimate expression of, of, of trust. And we know that uh, everything should be done in faith, trusting in, relying on God. And therefore, everything should be done prayerfully. Your parenting, your, your battle against sin, your marriage, your work, your, your, your training, your studies. There's no need to, to pile up words in a, in a big, you know, word salad. But our lives should be marked by brief and frequent moments of looking to the Lord, requesting his aid. Right? Because if we don't pause and look to God in prayer... In what sense can it be said that we're people of faith? Like, how are you a person of faith? If you're, if you're not pausing and, and looking to God, in what sense are you a person of faith? When, when we face our kids' behavioral problems, when we're being squeezed by financial issues, when we're having relational problems with, with a fellow student or a coworker, in what sense are we people of faith if we don't turn to the Lord in prayer? In many ways, this label of faithless, unbelieving generation that Jesus has, has uttered in exasperation in this passage applies just as much to us as it does to them. See, our inadequacies and our inability, which, which should be apparent to us at every moment, though we deceive ourselves, our inadequacies and our inability call us to look to Jesus in faith, as the authoritative Son of God, able to accomplish all things, and I get some of you like me are checklist kind of people. Like you, you th- your day you you think in terms of checklist. You think you see things that need happening, and prayer doesn't. You know, kind of you're not able to check if you stop and pray when that thing's on your checklist, right? But we express our faith by stopping to pray. Thank God I can't accomplish that. I can't accomplish that in the way that I need to accomplish that. Unless I pause and look to you relying on you. So here's just some things that we can take away from Mark 9. First of all, overwhelming circumstances Though they're usually experiences that we groan under and we avoid, overwhelming circumstances are a gift that enable us to see our inabilities and our inadequacies and provide us opportunities to look to Jesus in faith. And I would encourage you just to embrace those ugly moments of your life as such. Like when it hurts, go. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me that I'm at the end of myself here. Thank you, Jesus, that I can now, in this moment, just, I really need to lean into you. I need you to carry me. Those overwhelming circumstances are gifts. Secondly, serving the world around us will bring us face-to-face with circumstances beyond our resources and show us that the mission of God, it it ultimately belongs to God who has called us to participate with him. And so when we're kind of in over our head, when we're in a conversation, we don't know what to say or we know there's a conversation coming and we don't know what to say, that's not, a, that's not a situation to be avoided, but one entered into prayerfully, dependent upon God, knowing that it never depended upon us, our intelligence, or our abilities. We're called to serve in this world in dependence upon the Lord. Thirdly, we, we can confront our, our sin. With a mindset that it's by our willpower and our determination that we're gonna crush that rebellion against God. That's a joke. There's no way you're gonna tame and domesticate your sin on your own. It must be crucified in active, conscious dependence upon God alone who has the strength to overcome your wickedness. If you're battling porn or or greed or pride or, or hate and malice, you can't tame it. You need Jesus, just like this boy, to come and set you free. Stop toying with it on your own. Run to Jesus helplessly today. Cry for him fourth some of you are living in under the weight of your sin right now you know you feel you experience the guilt and the corruption of your sin and the bible makes it clear that you are completely helpless and powerless to change your condition you can't say oh, i'm going to live a better life now and serve jesus no nope. the bible says you as are unable To do that as a leopard is to change its spots. You can't change your sinful, corrupt heart. You can't change your sinfulness. But not all hope is lost. Because if you look to Christ in faith, in faith alone, not relying at all on your goodness or your efforts, Jesus will stand before the Father to account for your life he will stand in your place look to jesus in faith this morning fifth and perhaps many of us need to just simply start by building times of prayer into our lives we've shown ourselves to be faithless people you need to go home and talk with your spouse or your, sit the family down today on the couch or around the table and commit to times of prayer. We need, as a church, we have, we have a gathering before our, 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 our covenant member meeting tonight to pray. As the church, we need to be dependent upon God. Every Sunday morning, a few brothers gather over in the Missio Kids building to pray, join them. Each day with your family, find time, whether it's at the dinner table, just before bedtime, before you leave the house in the morning, to pray, expressing your dependence upon God, expressing your inability, your inadequacies, and calling on God to give you strength, to do what he desires. Keep nothing from prayer. Why? Why? Because our inadequacies and our inabilities call us to look to Jesus in faith as the authoritative one able to accomplish everything we need. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we acknowledge that you are the creator, God. You are king. You are the one that sustains the world and our lives in this moment, right now, and in the next moment, and in the moment to come. Everything depends upon you. And yet at the same time, we confess our self-delusion. The foolishness of our minds and heart. Somehow we've begun to think that it depends upon us and our efforts. Show us the folly of that. Show us our, our inabilities and our inadequacies Father, I pray that by your spirit you would show some their sin this morning. That they would feel the the crushing weight and guilt of their rebellion against you. Grant them to strength. Give them a new heart so that they might look to you in faith. That their life and death eternity depends not on them, not on their works, but in you. Father, do that right now in this place by your spirit. And I pray, God, that you would make us a people, Missio Church, dependent upon you, not touting our abilities, but looking continually, frequently to you. Accomplish your will through us in this city, in this place, in our families, in our workplaces, by your spirit as we rely upon you. We're asking you because we can't do that. So we pray these things on the authority of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.